Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to hell. Or dare I say... Let's get the hell out of here. It's time to say a long, drawn-out goodbye to Welcome to Hell. I'll be transitioning this podcast feed back into the nitty-gritty committee, stories about the guts and the glory of life. But that's not starting yet because this is a transition. We need to ease into it. Let's continue our transition with a man Nellie and I have both loved since before he was Mick from Offspring. Because before he was Mick, and then again after actually, he was Eddie Perfect. Welcome to hell, Eddie Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Eddie's got some light to his past. That sets him apart already. You and I look like cave dwellers in Afghanistan. Fuck off, I'm doing it deliberately. That's my beauty lighting. Oh, Mine's not deliberate. I just can't get my shit together to get globes. I'm in a spotlight. Can I give, which is starting to really annoy me now, but can I give a community service announcement? Because community service announcements in general are irritating me, but I think it's important that I give one because it's out of character for me. I have had several drinks before this broadcast, so I could go off the Richter. You've been prinking. You've had pre-drinks. Look, I'll be honest with you, I couldn't wait. That's fine. It's late. Yeah. I had a, I had a, I had a glass of wine. I was like at the kitchen table doing some, doing some craft arts and crafts, and I had a wine. I'm like, God, who's going to stop me? Are you making pom stop me? No, I've been really getting back into painting actually. Oh. Um, oh, so nice. I've been doing a lot of, uh, a lot of watercolor painting, which I've is has been good for like, um, if you if you think about anything other than the immediate thing right in front is really a stressful time. And so painting and cooking are the things that just like put me in the present and they, they stop the bees. If I, if I'm not, I get really anxious about like yeah. what's going to happen. And, and I'm not even like a planning, I'm pretty laid back. So I've been really enjoying that because, you know, you just get to focus on one thing and. I'm sitting here going, how, how are you doing that? And then I remembered, oh, you've got a wife. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to be doing a painting and all those things, but it's called Welcome to Hell, Eddie, because it's fucking hell out here, bub. I hide in the toilet. <laughs> if I could get the wife yeah. to work in my shed, I would be drinking and smoking at the same time. You know what I mean? Like, it's, all bets are off. All bets are off. Yeah. But to catch you up, the Michelle best. hides yeah. in the toilet, I hide in the shed. I don't have a shed. Uh, yeah, I did have a shed. I did, I did have a shed, but I had to turn it into a granny flat for my parents. It's fucking yeah. hell. <laughs> and so what are they have you just sealed them in there no no there's only one of them left it's the only one of them left but she's the chatty one so eddie i think can we start at the point you're back in australia now thank god when the show happened yes. 
you know, inverted commas, you were in the city of all cities, New York. Otherwise known as the epicenter of something. So is it, are you glad yeah. you're back here or are you anxious about not being there or like where, where are you sitting with, with your location? Oh, my gosh. It was it was the first time um, where, you know, um, we, we got out just as we were already coming back to Australia um, so that I could do a, a job and we were planning on coming back to Australia anyway. Um, so we'd, we'd already started packing up our lives when, you know, uh, COVID-19 became a big thing. And um, it's the first time I've experienced like an unknown that's coming and a whole city that is getting increasingly scared and panicky and, um, a, you know, a volatile place anyway. Um, certainly like when it comes to things like public health. Um, but then, you know, also, you know, just got, it, it's a very tightly packed city with human beings and the situ- situation was sort of escalating by the hour and, you know, the directives of what you could and couldn't do. And it just was this rising panic. So wow. we were really, we got out of there before people started, you know, like the, the sort of horrible death toll that's been happening now before that all kicked off, but pretty much, uh, both Lucy and I know many people that either um, had COVID-19 or have, have it currently. Um, it's just a way more um, prevalent in New York City. We'll, we'll, we're like, what is this thing? Is this serious? Do we take this seriously? And, I, you know, like, I love a disaster movie. I'm into those, like, kind of <laughs> yeah. post-apocalyptic movies where people, you know, roam the streets and, and you know eat people's arms and i was like this is what's going to happen in new york this is and lucy's sure, like, being I, insane imagining, you know any perfect 2021 2022 being wheeled through an airport in america with like no one else there and big like billboards and it's like the COVID story yeah <laughs> that'd be the scoop i mean that's kind of like the that's the kind of thing i'm interested in but it when, it, when you're living it, it's really, yeah. it's like, we don't know what's going to happen. So no. you've kind of got to take charge and make a decision for your family. You know, because what are I we going to do? Are you stunned? I'm completely stunned. Mm. Yeah. But, I mean, New York City is like, to me, the the ultimate um, Western, um, you know, city. I can't, I can't believe it. And And there was that moment where our two countries were kind of, seemed to be in the same place with this, virus yeah. right yeah um i i am stunned and baffled as to how this could possibly happen in that most most western uh privileged itself i thought city i i can't believe that this could happen there but i've never lived there i've never been there yeah well it's it's an interesting place in the sense that i mean obviously it's very dense with popularity yeah. and it is an international hub so there's people coming and going and that's sort of a big factor in the spread of COVID-19 but it's also like one of those places that's tough that's been through a lot of stuff and people there are very hardy and they love their city and they're very community-minded and they're incredibly generous people like um there is a sense of like um uh, people take care of each other in New York which is very opposite to what the kind of rumors are of New York being kind of cutthroat but they certainly take care of their communities and um this is one of those things where like solidarity just doesn't work. In fact, solidarity is the enemy. You 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 can't physically put yourself with other people. You need to remove yourself. So there's been very there's nothing like um, 
there's there's been nothing like what's happened with New York with this pandemic. Nothing like that has really happened in our lifetime. And um, yeah, so getting back to Australia was kind of weird because when when we landed, people were super chill. It was a few days before the Bondi photograph came out. No one was really kind of taking it sort of seriously. And it was very weird to come from a place where like, you know, people had, you go into a food store and people had scarves wrapped around their thing and then goggles on and, but, you know, there was nothing on the shelves and it was like very kind of bleak to come to Australia where people were sort of strolling around and that was super weird, but then it kind of, it kind of kicked off. But the way Australia has dealt with it is obviously incredibly commendable. And by and large, I think people have, li- people follow rules in Australia, even though it's kind of a weird thing. Oh, we accept to... authority. We accept authority far more than we think that we do. I'm terrified of the end of ISO, to be honest. Um, but when I see photos of people in cafes and stuff, not, you know, respecting the distance, I think, oh, it's hard to remember. It's hard to remember when you're at Coles and there's a lady looking at the cat food and you just think, oh, fuck, come on. Like, how hard is it? We all know what, what the cat food is. Like, and yeah. you just you do kind of, when you're there in that, in that, like, environment that you know so well, it is hard to remember how far it needs to be and stuff. So I think it's going to be really hard for us to remember to follow those rules, don't you think? You, like to some extent you can uh, exaggerate the effect of this, but we have got muscle memory, you know. It's sort of like you go, we're not used to like even physically sort of seeing someone in the shop and going, oh, I better move away or walking down the street or seeing a friend. Yeah. I've had oldies come and slap me on the arm and say, isn't this awful? You know, and it's like, dude yeah yeah. and it occurs to me like listening to you talk you know because a lot of people are making comparisons to you know the spanish flu or like epidemics or pandemics are not new in one sense but i think one of the things that's new for our parents and grandparents who would have been through similar things they weren't flying around the world they weren't moving their family around in the way that you have and, you know, we all have. Yeah. They didn't have access to international news, social media and so on. So just on a mental health level, it's really hard for the brain to reconcile images of a first world iconic city like New York having people die with, oh, we're not even there yet in terms of the Bondi photo. Do you know what I mean? Like it's we wouldn't have known fifty years ago yeah. that anything was happening anywhere else, really, yeah. other than a line here or there. So, do you find that sort of disconnect jarring? Um, no, I think it's lo- I think it's logical because you know it's a, a pandemic, a disease is, is a conceptual thing, and we can't see it. We don't know what it looks like. We know that carriers are asymptomatic, so it could be anyone, and you know. Um, it really just depends on how your the people around you are reacting as to how you react. So to come from New York, where there's one set of protocols, and just land in uh, in Sydney, where the sun was shining and you know it's absolutely gorgeous, and you know beaches feel pristine and they feel clean and they feel healthy. I didn't find that surprising at all, but I, I would always remind myself that it was real because you know they they shut Broadway, they haven't they've shut the subway, which they've never shut in the history of, of Manhattan. They've shut Broadway for the longest amount of time ever in Broadway's history. And Broadway is run by some of the most mercilessly ruthless capitalists I have ever 
encountered yeah. in my yeah. life who would stab your mother to death in order yeah. to make sure the 2 p.m. matinee went on yeah. and not think twice about it. Yeah. And for them to have their, their you know, multi-million dollar investments shelved mm. by a pandemic means that it's it's real. You know, real. They, yeah. they, are, they are the money. You look at Hollywood, Hollywood has stopped. Hollywood is the yeah. money, you know. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, well, if Broadway's shut, then this is a real, this is the real deal. Yeah. And I'm also like, if my industry isn't, is can't, can't function, then I would kind of like everyone else to sort of take it seriously. But I do feel yeah. like we have done that, and I do feel like um, it very much a sense of optimism creeping into the frame now. Is that what you guys feel? Yeah, but I think it's misplaced. I think it's too early. I think it's this. Um, I think this optimism is insanity, actually. Um, because I see, I see Germany now, you know, having this spike in cases after, after opening up again. And, and we saw Singapore do the same. And, um, and I see the liberal backbenchers saying, oh, when can we get rid of job seeker or fucking whatever it is? This is crazy. Like, I'm like, this is not, this is not going to march to the beat of our drums, guys. We, this is oh. just a thing all of, all its own. We can't make it. It's, it's like American protesters protesting the virus. I reckon it's interesting because we, you know, we've had discussions on the podcast about you take, for example, the controversy about schools opening or not opening. And, you know, you can't cherry pick the science. The science is pretty clear that it's relatively safe for kids to yeah. go back to school. My issue with that, though, is I, and we should do this, on a behavioural science level, if you've got a behavioural scientist in, I suspect strongly that they would go, yeah, but when you open schools, people relax. They go, well, if my kid can go to school and sit on a table with four other kids, then I can talk to you in Coles 30 centimetres away or I can go to the beach with you. So, yes, technically I think they're, I mean, you know, who can dispute the, the epidemiologists? Like I think they know what they're talking about. But on a behavioural science level, I'm less optimistic for the same reasons as Michelle, because I feel like relax, it's too early to relax. Yeah. Also, I, I sense a desperation, Eddie, in our industry. What do you think about that? Oh, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I, I hear my friends, I read my friends on Facebook um, saying, please download the app, please do all of those things because, God, our industry has been decimated, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, but there's no. I mean, that app is not going to be a golden bullet, is it? The day that the day that um, hundreds of complete strangers are going to be sitting shoulder to shoulder in a dark room watching live theatre is still a fair way yeah. off, I reckon. And that's really sucks. But I can imagine that film and television could probably come back, uh, uh, yeah. you know, with some serious protocols involved and in, in distancing and making sure that things are things are kind of um, sanitised in the right way. You know, and then there's all this kind of like push to try and move, you know, your performance into uh, a digital space, and um, at an at an age where I don't have the energy to pioneer. But I just can I just make this point while we're yeah. getting a bit witchy that I feel like like I have taken my work onto the digital into the digital space, if that's the terminology. Like tomorrow night, I'm doing a live stream where because I was supposed to be touring in May with the um, true crime show. And so we were able to then just quickly turn it into a live stream and it's going to look beautiful because we're working with dainties and they've 
they've basically made it a, a live television show, right? But I can do that because I am at a place in my career where I can do that. And I, you know, you feel for other performers who don't, who aren't at that place and don't have the choices. And, you know, these are the people that I can hear or them. Don't, can, or don't work in that yeah. way, you know. That, yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. They, they, they stand up or. Yeah. 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 Yeah, their work it's just complex. doesn't work that way, and I can hear them just screaming, going, "What? What's going to happen to us? How many years is this going to going to be happening?" And and this, again, these obstacles we didn't have, you know. No one can give an answer. I think unless you're probably in live performance, you don't understand the drive required, even when everything's going well, to sustain a career in live performance. But you know what? I think a lot of other people have that drive to do a lot of things. And I think a lot of dreams have been torpedoed in the last three months. Like there are people whose dream it is to be in real estate or to have their own hairdressing salon or, you know, like we, we have dreams and, and, and a lot of dreams have been smashed. And there's a lot of people walking around the planet right now saying, I don't know. I don't know how to resurrect it change it adapt you know it's not i think it's not just no, and i'm not i'm not trying to suggest that they're no, driving for us yeah. anymore but i think yeah. equivalent would be like trying to watch my um kids teachers for example who've had to radically shift into this sort of online mode and do things differently and you can see like bless them because they're trying but you can see how hard it is and i think it's not as easy like not every personality can pivot quickly and now they have to pivot back again. Poor yeah. thing. Oh, they must be so exhausted. Yeah. It's weird how yeah. adults expect, like somehow think that teachers magically know mm. how to do that, mm. you know. So there was a lot of, like, animosity from parents when that changeover to remote schooling happened. Like, yeah. this isn't working and how can they expect us to do this? But it was like the teachers are like, this is what we got. This is yeah. what we're trying to do. It took us a little while to get around it but i think there's some, oh, a yeah. lot of good things to be said said for it but yeah the idea that you automatically know how to fix it is so weird nobody knows what's going on no that's right but again going back to the idea i mean we have a have, have a view we've discussed this before as australians that we're very anti-authoritarian but it's bullshit like we're not and <laughs> really think, like on a basic level that you know dad's in charge and he'll sort it out and the kind of the reality is we kind of go, oh, actually, the teachers are just humans. Politicians are just humans. Like, doctors are just humans. Everyone's trying to work on the run here. Yeah. Australia has more rules than any other place I've exactly. ever been to. Oh, no, we don't like to hear that, Eddie. No. No, <laughs> yeah. no we don't. Right. So many more than when I was a kid, though. I mean, when I think back to Australia when I was a kid and how loosey-goosey this joint was, you know, all those things. When I was little, you know, there were no seatbelts, there were no helmets. I went to a primary school where kids had – I tell this to my kids all the time because I was in Queensland, you know, it was hot, and kids had no shoes. They literally did oh, not have right. shoes, you know, and that was cool. No one called docs. No one fucking, you know, <laughs> you know like, that's fine. Yeah. Um, and they had to wait till their brother grew out of his shoes. It's fine. It'll happen. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, think true. I mean, I'm in two minds because I kind of go, um, oh, the idea of seatbelts. Like one of our, uh, the three of us have a mutual friend, James Penelides, um, photographer, 
And he talk, whenever he talks about going back to Greece, I'm like, oh, you know, aside from seeing his cousins and stuff, which he loves, I'm like, what, you know, did you have a good time? What did you do? And he's like, oh, no seatbelts and I can smoke in the car. That's what I love about Asia. It just reminds me of my childhood, mate. You know, everyone just trusts you to basically take care of yourself. <laughs> yeah, although, I mean, I'm just small caveat that, you know, the road toll wasn't great. Like, you know, we kind yeah. of got all the good old days. People died. It was fine at my place, mate. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Eddie, on a, like, personal level, I mean, as much as you want to say, but where were you, like, what projects of yours have been, like, stymied? You know, how, what's, what's the impact on you? Well, um, I had one of my musicals, Beetlejuice, was running on Broadway, and now, obviously, that, has been sort of put on ice and um so that's not happening um i i was coming to australia to do a production of dolly parton's nine to five oh, musical and oh. yeah and that was the first time i uh, performing for a long time for me so i was very kind of nervous about it but excited and yeah. then obviously that that's not happening or that's been postponed or whatever they're saying about that so that kind of ended and then what part, what part did you have? Were you the boss? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> but, you know, like I was also, you know, as I said, you know, haven't performed on stage in a while. So when it got um, when it got postponed or cancelled or whatever the hell uh, they're calling it, I was a little bit relieved. I was like, okay, I get a little <laughs> bit more time to think about how it's all going to work. But, you know, a, a lot of my um, writing projects are right at the start right at the start of development so it's yeah. it's just what we're doing now i'm just doing kind of like the occasional you know weekly zoom call with it with a collaborator and going what do we want to write and what do we do so that is sort of fine and um and that continues but then everything else we were coming back to australia to work out you know what's life in australia going to be like and and now it's all kind of disappeared and so when it comes back we're very excited to work out what life is i mean we're going to we'll be back in melbourne eventually and kids will go to school on June the 9th and that'll be um, what it is. And, yeah, you know, I was kind of excited to reconnect with Australia and make theatre in Australia and make TV in Australia and, and then sort of slowly, like, dip my toes in the water of performing again because I haven't done that for so long. Mm. Like, no comedy. You guys are still gigging, aren't you? You're still doing stand-up. and no. I think for, probably for different reasons, but no, like I've, I kind of, toward the end of last year, I just kind of hung up the microphone for, for a while um, based on family stuff. So it's a sort of yeah. a bit of a weird moment in time for me because I kind of seeing colleagues and friends in a, in a very different way, but there's a lot of similarities going through what I went through last year, you know, of kind of like the shock of it right and so you've got two you've got two kids and a partner like how like what's it has it altered your working life working from home with your family or because i I, I've, I loved watching your move to new york i remember you you chronicled it a lot on facebook and watching the girls start mm. school and watching you all settle in was so exciting because it was such a big move and I was so curious about how they'd go. And, of course, as is always the way, 
the girls took to it like duck, little ducks to water and starting at their new school. It was all yeah. cool and they fitted in really well and seeing you, um, I don't know if you mentioned your partner's name on in public or whatever, but seeing the two of you, yeah. you know, just tentatively um, just doing it. And it was so brave and exciting to watch and, yeah, I loved that so much. Like yeah. how are they feeling well, back think, here? Yeah, it was, it was super fun adventure. Yeah. Um, but fuck me, it was really intense and very stressful. And some things went, you know, like some things went well, but a lot of things went really badly, like <laughs> like really badly. Like going to Broadway and, you know, I had two shows, yeah, like a, a dream. And for, for a while, like biggest failure, like the biggest. <laughs> it was so fucking bad. It was so bad. Like, you know, um, I got like got negative reviews in in the New York Times twice and the Washington Post twice one week in the same week. Fuck off. And also, I think doing two shows in New York put it back Australian, and I got a weird fucking name, and I came out of nowhere. And who's this guy? Like with two shows in the one season, I think that was like probably not a, a great move in retrospect, but it was never my decision to do both those shows at the same time. And there was like actually like a kind of a terrifying amount of hate, and I was like, oh, I, I don't think this is gonna happen. But I was surprisingly chipper about it all. I was like, oh well, <laughs> I'll just go and write the next thing. And then Beetlejuice got nominated for Tony Awards. We didn't win any, but it meant we got to perform at the Tony Awards. And that combination of that performance and the kind of the show, all of a sudden we went from being a show that you know what it's like as a comedian, you know where the love is at a, an awards night. We're in the, we're in Radio City Music Hall, Lucy and I, and it'd be like, you know, uh, Best Supporting <laughs> Actress in the musical, uh, it'd be Tootsie, and there'd be a section of the audience that were like, Tootsie, yeah, or they'd be like, you know, Hadestown, yeah, or The Prom, people were like, yeah, and they'd be like, you know, Carrie Butler for Beetlejuice, and it'd be like, yeah. <laughs> and they were like, oh, God. It's just. That's that weird this is thing. The, no one likes us. No one likes us. One of the things I love is just that idea of, you know, seeing like you and Lucy on the red carpet and yeah. you go, oh, I remember seeing Eddie at the, but was it the Swiss Club or wherever it was at the comedy festival with, you know, 15 people or what? I mean, genius, still brilliant. But yeah. like this sort of little, you know, new, like all of us, like this sort of little start and then, oh, my God, there's Eddie on the red carpet and Lucy's at a press. Yeah. yeah, because you, you were my first comedy friend, Nelly. When I first did the <laughs> comedy festival, I didn't know anybody, and you know that was back in the days. Do you still flyer at the town hall? Okay. Does that still happen? I don't remember. I don't know. But I, I met you. We were flyering at the front, and you were so welcoming and nice to me. Yeah, she's good like that. She's very good like that. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Eddie, in the States, I know that they don't have Medicare, for example. They don't have access to um, healthcare like we do. Do you think that they, what do you think their response is going to be to the mental health aspects of this? Because it must be huge. It must be terrifying. Yeah, and and I know in New York, um, the the idea of seeing a, a psychiatrist and talking about your psychiatrist and talking about what happened with your psychiatrist and sharing tips on who's a good psychiatrist is something that is very open in in New York. Yeah. And I, you know, you know, I've I've worked with people who are like, you know, like as but they see a therapist every week. And like I was working through this with my therapist, and I'm like, they did it. Well, it's not fucking. Yeah, working. The most yeah. depressing thing for me in life is when you talk to someone who's had like twenty years of therapy and they're still a fucking asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and you're still an asshole. If I meet an asshole who's stupid and has had no help, I'm like, well, what chance did you have? And you know, I got a lot better at working with people I I I, I didn't get along with. You know, like kind of on a molecular level. Yeah. And I, you know, I've generally been shielded from that because, um, yeah. you know, in Australia you gravitate to, I think people are generally probably a little bit nicer or less or, or have less hang-ups or issues or, or governed less by fear in Australia or the stakes are maybe a little a little lower. But assholes exist in Australia, obviously, but in America, you know, you kind of meet quite a lot of that and that that's really complicated to go... You know, yeah. I'm not going to be in the spa with this person after this gig, drinking champagne, but we can still work together. Or, you know, you have to kind of quarantine what, the level of trust, you know, you have with that person. You know, I have a tendency to kind of make everybody my confidant. Yeah. And in America, I experienced the first, for the first time, people using that to undermine you. That's that's That was very... That was very shocking to me, you know. Yes. You know, you make yourself vulnerable to make other people vulnerable to create a bond. You know, that's something that I sort of do, but sometimes. It's a very comedian thing to do as well. I think it's a very, um, well, it's a very Australian comedian thing to do. Like, I mean, that's one of the reasons I think that I actually genuinely like colleagues. Like, I couldn't hear most of what you said before, but I do remember meeting you and I remember meeting you and going, like, having that kind of, Oh yeah, let's just like let's just talk like we've known each other for twenty years, yeah. and you 
not a lot in our industry, and I really like that. But when that is used against yeah. you, I mean, I I think that's quite rare here. But I can mm. imagine that happening in the cut and thrust of Broadway. Yeah. I was I was interested in your thoughts on the AFL being able to open back up. So obviously, Eduardo, one of your well-known works was on a famous cricket player, but you're not really like a sports fanatic. Well, we one of the things that made Lucy and I roar with laughter, and I don't mean like, I don't mean like chuckle, but we would, <laughs> it was so weird for us. We landed in Australia, we obviously had to go into quarantine for two weeks, didn't leave the house, but you know, every night, we watch the news, and at the end of the news, it'd be like, "When when's the yeah. NRL coming back?" And we would laugh oh, so yeah. hard because it was like watching a like a satirical yeah. news show, and <laughs> you know, there'd be an interview with a player who didn't realise he yeah. played his last game, <laughs> and you know, when's it coming back, and what's going to happen? And then there was like the 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 idea of the island. So I'm actually writing. I assume a, when um, you've been. It's like, a comedy show about when you're living in New York, right? it's like that equivalent of like going on tour and you end up in like a small town with 3,000 people and you watch like win news and you go, yeah. oh, oh, oh they're, they're doing a story about the local agorama. Like yeah. I coming back to even Sydney must be a bit like that for you. Farm Fest in Toowoomba it was, Farm Fest. Yeah. yeah. Right. And you're like, well, you know, about the island um, on your Facebook, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you yeah. know, like a, a culture decides what it's interested in and also like the media is like, well, this is newsworthy and we need to talk about it. But it seemed to me like that everyone was totally the same as Lucy and I, completely bemused by the fact that we were, you know, in the middle of a pandemic where, you know, people were dying, um, not just in our country, but all over the world and that entire industries had evaporated. And we had to worry about when NRL was coming back. And I know that I'm not, the target audience but i was still like this is um this is an irrational fixation you know what i mean i mean um, it's the same though it's the same with afl but the thing i love about the nrl is the anti-vaxxers now the <laughs> thing about the anti-vaxxer boys as well is that if any one of those boys had ever heard the term anti-vaxxer before they hooked up with their fucking wives i will be shocked to the back teeth. Every one of them has got a stunning wife who is a Pete Evans acolyte. The, yeah. It's always the hot wives who are the anti-vaxxers. They're bloggers, they're Insta models, health, you know, they've all got shakes named after them. They're the anti-vaxxers. Are you following the anti-vaxxers? Yeah, um, not just in, in sport, but... Um... You know, obviously, it's a big thing where you need to have had a flu injection in order to visit a aged care facility. Right. Um, and people uh, on Facebook, I did this, when I was in Offspring, I befriended everybody. Anyone that asked me to be their friend on Facebook, I said yes. I know. And what it's resulted in is that I've got this incredibly odd cross-section of complete strangers that I'm friends <laughs> with on Facebook. So I, I don't, I feel like it's the, a great world where I'm not in a kind of a, a liberal arts bubble. Yeah. And there are a lot of people that are really pissed off about this idea that, you know, um, this is a, this uh, directive means that, you know, you, the government is legislating what you have to do with your body in order to be able to see your, parent 
you know, your, yeah. your aging parent in a nursing home. And I ask questions, you know, I'm because I'm genuinely interested. I'm like, what is it about it that you're worried about? What is it? What is it about the flu injection that you're worried about? And what do the people living in the aged care facility think? Do they want people that come in there to have had the flu? Because I thought the flu injection was pretty innocuous. Like, you know, um, it seems to be something that everyone kind of does. And, and I, this person just happened to have one condition that um, you shouldn't have the flu injection for. It's right. kind of, it's got a gal's bane or I can't remember the name of it, but it way back in the eighties, yeah. there were some adverse effects, adverse effects. And they say you got to be super careful in them thing, and I kind of get it. But you go surely if you're that person, you get to you, know, you get a doctor's note that goes when I go to the to my you know you get thermometer or you know some kind of uh, some kind of test that allows you to be screened before you go in. One thing I've noticed in some of my Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander friends and colleagues, like there's definitely. Um, uh, a sense in some sections of that community that they don't want to be told to have a flu shot. And I've seen some of my friends on Facebook, for example, going, no, no, you know, Auntie so-and-so had a flu shot and then she was weeks. Oh my. But also that quite completely understandable fear of authority and, you know, government-controlled medical care. And I wonder, is there like that amongst NRL players? Because there's a lot of Islanders in NRL um, teams, yeah? Or is it, am I off yeah, the mark? Absolutely, there absolutely are. But there are also a lot of wives and girlfriends with, you know, a lot of chemicals pumped into their bodies, frankly, who are Instagrammers and bloggers about anti-vax. And they, are, they don't have medical fucking backgrounds, mate. Yeah. And they are spreading a lot of information they're not qualified to spread, is what I'm saying, and they're not helping. So I can understand aunties with yeah. definitely, you know, yeah, generational trauma attached to these issues, but, you know, that's, to me, a very different scenario. So they were told they couldn't play footy if they didn't have the flu vaccine. A couple of the boys with the anti-vaxxer missuses jacked up and said they wouldn't have it. And then in the end, they, um, you know, gave in and said, okay, you can still play footy even if you don't have the flu vaccine. So it's been a big wow. issue in okay. New South Wales and Queensland, yeah. Well, I mean, just to, to, to do full circle back to the, to the AFL thing, I, I found it interesting thinking about it today because I, like my brother, you know, was very, like was an elite footballer for a little while until his knees blew out. Like we're an AFL family. But I rejected the whole thing. I haven't watched an AFL game probably since I was about 20. But right. it occurred to me, you know, a couple of days ago, I'm like, I know on a mental health level what this means to people. Yeah, so I know that. Part of me kind of going, you know, yeah, they should get an exception. Like if it actually, I'm so worried about the mental health, especially of like younger men. Um, yeah. Maybe this is a good thing. And also it provides that normality that we all just miss so much, right? Like there's part of me that I miss it. Like I'm not a huge footy fan, but I'm a Western Bulldog supporter and there's part of me that says, God, it'd be nice to see something normal, like anything normal. Yeah. Normal. yeah. I wonder, though, would it be normal? Like if you're watching a game where there's no one in Yeah, yeah it's going to be weird. Because but... I have Zoom drinks or something and go, oh, this just reminds me I can't see my friends. I know. <laughs> you know, like, 
And I have to tell everyone that I'm wearing a wig, by the way, Nelly. I keep getting so many beautiful compliments about my hair. And I'm like, is it darling? It's hair by Mattel. Come on now. <laughs> I love that it's got roots built into the wig. I know, right? I mean, we're not stupid. You've got to have roots. But come on now. Is it offensive? Like, send the emails to Michelle. Is it offensive to say that's a very pretty woman wig? Is that is Ooh, that right? Not to me. Yeah. <laughs> Um, do you have any sort of plans at all? Like, are you making plans or are you really just in the moment? I don't know what's happening. I'm painting. I'm just, you know, like, well, how are you coping? What are you, how are you getting through it right now? Yeah, I'm kind of a little bit up and down, um, but I am excited to put my kids back in their school in Melbourne. And I'm also excited. I've got two music, long-term musical projects that I'm writing. Mm -hmm. And I'm really enjoying those creative meetings. I just laugh. They're both comedies and we both, we laugh a lot while we're yeah. making them. And then once we can see each other, I want to make some stuff in Australia with Australians and whether that's theatre or comedy, I'm just very excited to re reconnect and be home. Wait, what, the thought, like whenever it is, the thought of sitting in a theatre watching Nine to Five with Vado <gasps> Perfecto. Oh my god! For a few months at least. Like, I'm such a jolly <laughs> fan. I'm such an Eddie fan. Bringing the two yeah. together. Yeah. Oh, I love that movie. My kids and I went through a massive Nine to Five phase about a year ago. And we will come and see that show live. Oh, we three of us love it. Hey, Eddie, I hope yeah. we look forward to seeing you when you come back to Melbourne and, you know, we hope Lucy and the kids are doing well in, in all of this and I'm, I'm actually, I'm really glad that you're in Australia. Yeah. Like, I, know, I don't know if you are, but I'm really glad that you're in Australia and that all of us who love and adore you don't have to worry that you're in the middle of, you know, Corona Central. You know of a lot of people in New York and you're just so relieved when they get home right now. So we're very glad you and the girls are home. Love you, Eduardo. Bye-bye. Love you both. Bye. Thank you for downloading Welcome to Hell. I hope you'll hang around on this stream for some all-new episodes of the Nitty Gritty Committee, stories about the guts and the glory of life, starting in mid-June. 